Welcome to the Hutto Community Church Podcast. HCC is located in Hutto, Texas, and is led by Pastor Russell Daniel. For more information, please check out our website at huddocommunitychurch.org. Now let's join Pastor Russell for today's message. Father God, as we come before you tonight and begin to open your word, Father, I pray that you would just quiet our hearts. Uh, Father, I pray that you would invade that space, that you would fill it. Father, that you would meet with us here tonight. Lord, that you would just open the pages of Scripture, make them easy to understand and easy to apply to our lives. And Father, we just give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, When I was in seminary, there's one class in particular that really sticks out to me. And uh, I remember exactly where I was sitting. I remember the room. I remember the people who were in there. And for whatever reason, we were having a debate about what it means to be a Christian. And so you can imagine a group of um, very zealous young seminarians kind of getting into that and talking about, well, uh, okay, they've got, they've got to believe, but do they have to be baptized or not baptized? Uh, what does it mean to believe? Is that like an intellectual acknowledgement or does that go uh, beyond that? What, what does it mean to be saved and to be a Christian? And so this conversation continued for some time and our professor just kind of sat back like a fly on the wall and, and let us go at it for quite a while. And so the conversation began to get tense, and people got to be entrenched in whatever their view was, and, you know, nobody's budging, and the discussion gets a little bit more heated, a little bit more heated, until all of a sudden, one young man in the very back of the room, uh, Hans Edlin was his name, and he stood up, and with tears streaming down his face, he said, why must we make it so difficult for people to be saved. People are lost, people are dying, people are without hope, and we're so busy arguing over what it means to be a Christian, they simply need to hear the good news that Jesus saves. As you can imagine, our class fell silent. And as proud as we were just a moment before, we were instantly humbled. And so while we were after something good and we're, uh, we're all want to be in, in this to change people's lives and we're, we're here to draw closer to Jesus, we had made something more difficult than what God designed it to be. And, and I think in, in so many ways, we still do this today in church as a whole, don't we? I mean, just this week in small group, we had that, that very same discussion about, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? Who's really a Christian? Who's not really a Christian? And, and, and what does that look like? I think as we look at our society, we tend to complicate this issue. And most of the time, it takes the form of our teaching. And again, this comes from a place that's, that's good, it's well-meaning. Uh, for example, We want our children to grow up and to be good citizens of society. We want them to be moral. We want them to do the right thing. And so we begin to teach them at a very early age, hey, we don't lie. You know, we don't cheat. We don't steal. We don't do all of these things uh, because we want them to be model citizens, right? It comes from a great place. But the problem happens is when in, in the church, the emphasis on morality outweighs the emphasis on relationship with Jesus and people get hurt. 
Uh, let me just share a, a brief example, and this one's kind of funny, but it's, it's personal. Now, when I was growing up, I'm a pastor's kid, if you didn't know, so I grew up in the church. We were there every time the doors were open, and um, a lot of times on Wednesday nights, I'd be coming from a practice or a ball game or something like that, and so I would have a hat on. Well, I would walk in, and, and just without fail, every time I wore a hat, I would run into this one deacon in our church. And he actually happened to be our family's deacon. He was the one responsible uh, for caring for us. So he would send us birthday cards. He would check up on us when we were sick. And he did all of these things very, very wonderfully. But anytime I had a hat on inside the church building, he would say, hey, Russell, is your head cold today? And I'd just get this puzzled look on my face and just look at him and say, are you crazy? Like, no, it's 100 degrees and we live in Texas. No, my head is not cold. And he would say, well, then I guess you don't need your hat on in church today, do you? And I'm telling you, it, rubbed my, it just rubbed me the wrong way every single time. Because I didn't have a problem wearing a hat in church, and Dad's a pastor, right? Like, so what, what does this matter? This is your tradition that you have, and frankly, I don't care about it. Because if I take my hat off, I'm going to have hat hair. And like, my hair, my hair doesn't, like, it just goes in whatever way it's compressed into. Like, some guys wear a hat, and then they take it off, and, like, their hair is perfect. That's not me. Mine, it looks like it goes 18 different ways, and I would just woke up from a nap. So I'm not taking my hat off. Anyway, all that to say, that's one of those things that we can sometimes value within the church, that it's not biblical, it's tradition, but we hold that to such a standard when we walk away from the church meeting. What we remember is someone corrected us over something ridiculous rather than bringing us closer to Jesus. And now that's a funny example at this point, but some of you have walked through things that are much worse than that. And you've been the victim of someone's criticism or a body of uh, deacons has gotten together and say, hey, this person is out of line because of this, this, and this. And they've pushed them out of the church because we have emphasized morality over a relationship with Jesus and created a culture that might be able to act good but doesn't know the Savior. So I think that's one way that we can do it. Another way is um, sometimes people will do things that we don't agree with, and, and maybe it's not necessarily sinful, it's not necessarily wrong, but we just think they're making poor life decisions. And rather than drawing close to them, and bringing them closer to Jesus, we isolate and say, oh, I'm not going to associate with that person. Again, personal story. First church I started in Austin had a man who was going to help me start the church. He wanted to name the church one thing. I wanted to name it the other. And so I named it. And he said, well, I'm not going to help you. He said, if you're going to do that, then you don't need my help. And so we have things like that, which have put a barrier uh, in the way for people to draw close to Jesus. Now let's fast forward to 2021 and think about other things that maybe push people away from Jesus, like the way you vote, or what your view is on LGBTQ, or name the issue. There's too many of, a, of them to even name at this point and we begin to value an issue over relationship with one another and relationship with Jesus. Now, the good news is we're not the first people to complicate the gospel, and we're not the first people to make it difficult 
to come to Jesus. And we'll see that as we continue our journey through the book of Acts. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 15 this week. And uh, just to kind of catch you up, last week we saw that Paul and Barnabas went on the first missionary journey. And everywhere they went, that uh, the gospel was spread and people came to know and to love Jesus. And then after Paul and Barnabas would leave, there would be these people who we will call Judaizers who would come behind and create trouble for Paul and Barnabas. And we'll see that some again today as well. So Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea, and that's to Antioch. So they came down from Judea to Antioch where Paul and Barnabas were, and they were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem uh, to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. All right, so let's stop right there for just a minute. So here's what's going on. So, uh, all right. Um, So here's what's going on. Paul and Barnabas have shared the gospel all over. Uh, They've come back to Antioch, and while they're in Antioch, there are Jews that are saying, you cannot be a Christian unless you first convert to Judaism, and you've got to be circumcised if you're a male, which no male wants to be circumcised, and you've got to follow the law of Moses. And so what is happening here is a large barrier is being put up between uh, those who have decided to follow Christ, they've been given the Holy Spirit, and those in the party of the Jews. And so uh, they say, and this is interesting in, in verse 5. I never noticed this. I don't know if you noticed it. Uh, but the Pharisees were saying it is necessary to circumcise them. I always thought the Scripture read, in order to keep the law of Moses, but rather it says, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So what we're talking about is taking uh, Gentile believers who have just come to know Christ, And we want to take all of the Old Testament law, 613 of them to be exact, and we want to put them on these Gentile believers and say, you must keep these in order to be saved. Now, Paul and Barnabas said, absolutely not. That is not what is going to happen. So uh, they went down to Jerusalem in church history. This is what is called the Jerusalem Council where uh, they were going to decide the matter. And you'll notice even that there were believers who were still part of the uh, group called the Pharisees, one of the religious groups at that time. It was very prominent and very powerful. So a debate ensues. Let's pick it up in verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate... Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth 
the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And so here's what happens. As they're debating the issue, Peter stands up and says, hey guys, time out. Remember what happened over in uh, Acts chapter 10 when Cornelius came to know Jesus? Like I went there, that was a Roman centurion. You wanna talk about a Gentile? That guy is a Gentile. He's got bacon in the house. He's got a ham in the oven. Like there were no ceremonial cleansings. He's not keeping the Old Testament law, not circumcised. I preached the gospel to them. I preached Christ crucified and the Holy Spirit fell. Like what more, what more is there to say? You cannot deny the existence of the Holy Spirit in these body of believers. Of course, they are Christians. They don't need the Old Testament law. So that's point number one for Peter Holy Spirit, that's kind of like the trump card. But then, do you notice what he says? It's very interesting. Verse 10, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the people that our fathers haven't been able to keep and we haven't been able to keep. So here, he's talking about all of the Old Testament law. And so what, what becomes very clear here is you cannot be good enough to become a Christian. Because if you could, then the Old Testament law would have been sufficient in and of itself. Yet what the law was given to us to reveal that we are not good enough, that indeed we do need a Savior to come and save us from our sins. And it's interesting, even if we are good enough, we end up looking just like the Pharisees in Jesus' time. You remember, they were uh, proud, they were arrogant, they would lord it over the people saying, we've been able to white-knuckle it and do it, why can't you? And we become selfish and arrogant. Which, by the way, we need saving from that too. And so Peter makes those two points. The Holy Spirit was given to the Gentiles, and we haven't been able to keep the Old Testament law why are we going to make them keep the Old Testament law? Pick it up in verse 12. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Paul and Barnabas as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon, that's Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality 
and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So after Peter makes his argument, Paul and Barnabas get up and they recount their missionary journey again about how the Holy Spirit was given to all of the Gentiles. And then James stands up and he has a little bit different take. He says, hey, listen, guys, like this was the plan from day one. And he quotes Amos and Jeremiah and says, this has always been the plan of God that the Gentiles would hear the good news and that they would believe and draw near to him. And then he makes the suggestion, say, okay, listen, guys, here's, here's what we need to do. Let's write to our Gentile believers. Um, uh, let me back up here for just a second. Let me call time out. So once they've established salvation, right, that it is by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, who is crucified and resurrected, once they've established that, there's another question that has to be answered here. How are we going to fellowship with one another? Now, this takes a little bit of digging into here because we're talking about Jewish believers and Gentile believers. Jewish believers still don't have the pork in the fridge. The Gentile believers do, meaning they can't come together and share food and fellowship with one another. Now, I know this concept is a little bit foreign to us because if you don't have bacon with breakfast, then you're not really American, right? But uh, for the Jews, this was a huge deal. I mean, it was almost like a line in the sand saying, okay, we see you, we hear you, we believe you're saved, but like we can't come together because of what we believe. So how are we going to make this work? And so this is where James picks up and he makes these suggestions. Hey, Guys, if y'all will stay away from stuff that's been polluted by idols, if y'all will uh, do away with sexual immorality, temple prostitution uh, that goes on in all the Gentile cities, and if you'll just cook your steak a little bit more, then I think we can set aside everything else and we can come together and have fellowship. And so I just want you to notice what a huge concession this is on a part of the Jews. Remember, you've got thousands of years of history, of Old Testament tradition, 613 laws of Jewish customs and rituals, um, uh, moral laws, ceremonial laws. They say, listen, so that we can be unified, so that we can be on the same page, we'll set aside all of this in order to come together. That's a huge deal. You say, well, Russell, that, that's all well, good and all, but you know, like we don't have any idols sitting around here. Um, really, it's not a big deal if I like my steak rare or well done. So like, what's the point here? Two things I want to make. Number one, salvation is in Christ alone by grace alone. We can only be saved by the grace of God through faith in his son, Jesus. That's it. And that's really, really good news for us because that means we don't have to say a certain amount of prayers. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to do a certain amount of religious things. You don't have to uh, give a certain amount of money to the church or to some nonprofit organization. In fact, you can't give enough money. It goes back to what Peter says. We haven't been able to keep the law. That's why we have Jesus. Church, we can't be good enough. Like If you don't get anything else from this message, we 
can't be good enough to be saved. Salvation is only found in Jesus, only by believing in him and placing your faith and your trust and your hope in him. That's it. Not baptism, not being confirmed as a child in whatever denomination you grew up in, not because your, your parents were good people and they went to church. None of that matters. It only matters about you and your relationship with Jesus. That's it. That's all salvation comes down to. And I would just say, how good is God that he made it that simple for us? That he would love us so much that he wouldn't make us go through the ringer of religiosity in order to come to him. But he would say, listen, if you'll simply confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So that is the good news of the gospel. And that's exactly what was decided here in the Jerusalem Council. Secondly, we've got to lay down our preferences for things that are not essential, meaning Jesus. And we live in a culture where I don't know if it's just me or maybe it's you guys too, but I feel like stress levels are through the roof. I feel like at any point, like someone could say something and I might snap on occasion. And our culture has pitted us against one another. Whether you're Republican or Democrat, whether you're black or white or Hispanic or Asian or some mix in between, whatever you believe about COVID on this side or COVID on that side, I mean, again, pick your issue here. But you see what the Jewish believers did was they laid down their preferences. And it was more than just a preference. That was the Old Testament law. That's the law of Moses. That's deep, rich history and tradition. But for the sake of coming together, of praying together, of worshiping together, of seeking the Lord together, they said, hey, we won't make you guys go through the ringer. We won't make you be circumcised. We won't make you go through the ceremonial washings. We won't make you go through all these things because we want to fellowship with you. We want to be unified. We want to be on the same page. And most of all, we want the gospel to go forward so that other people can hear about the good news of Jesus. And so as I think about where we are as a culture, we've got to be a people who will be humble and lay down our preferences. I'm not saying you've got to compromise beliefs, but what I am saying is when it comes to the fellowship of the body, that those things are secondary. And what's primary is Jesus and that we encourage one another to Jesus, that we push one another to Jesus, and that we remain unified. Everything else is secondary. Because that also means you can't be posting that stuff on social media. Now, you guys are not really the group that does that a whole lot, so it's not like we have to really worry about that. But if you're tempted, say, you know what? For my brothers and sisters in the church, I'm not going to do that. Because it doesn't matter what side you are. It doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. All you're going to do is stir that pot. And we don't need any more pot stirring in our day and time. And so I earnestly believe that our culture, our world would look so much different if we would just hold out the simplicity of the gospel, that we would be the light, that we would be the city on a hill, that we would be the salt of the earth and say, Jesus saves I mentioned briefly uh, last week 
this whole deconstruction movement and how people are walking away from their faith. I heard a statistic this week that it's kind of a four-to-one ratio. Four people are leaving for every one that comes to know Jesus, and it's heartbreaking. And again, most of it has to do with the emphasis on morality rather than Jesus, or personality within the church rather than Jesus. And if we would be a church, if our churches would just hold up Jesus and say, He's the only thing that matters. I know you got baggage. I know you've been divorced. I know you went through uh, some trauma over here. I know people treated you badly over here, but it's about you and Jesus and nothing else. Then it would be a lot easier for folks to come to know him. At the same time, if we would be a people who are clothed in humility, laying down our preferences, not taking a, a, a firm stand on things that don't matter, I believe a lot of people would be drawn to the church. The church is a place of acceptance. A church is a place of unity. Doesn't mean we compromise. Doesn't mean we don't address sin, but that's secondary because unity comes first because Jesus united dirty, poor sinners like you and me with a holy God brought us together. Jesus brought Jews and Gentiles together for the sake of the gospel. The gospel crosses culture it crosses race, it crosses geography, it crosses social status, it crosses all of those boundaries. And if we would be a people who would allow Jesus to do what Jesus does best, then I believe the world would be drawn to him and we'd live in a different place than we do today. And so that's my challenge for you today. Keep the gospel simple. It is by grace through faith in him. And let's be a humble people who lay down our preferences for sake of unity in the body of Christ, that the gospel message might go forward. Would you pray with me? Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, or visit our website at huddocommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.